Well, good morning. We're going to read this morning again from Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This morning, we're going to talk about the third part of our series that we've been looking at, The Genius of Genesis. We're looking at bedrock foundational principles that chapter 1 in Genesis gives us that help frame the way that we look at the world. And I believe that if we get these bedrock principles down, it helps us make sense of God, life, the world, and where we fit in this world. Uh, So in a moment, we're going to pray, and then uh, I'd like to interview a a young man from our church here uh, about the whole relationship between science and faith from his perspective. Um, In leading us in prayer this morning, I just want to fill you in on a couple of details. Some of you know that Teresa Ware had surgery on Friday on her back. I talked with her yesterday. That all seemed to have gone well, but she's in for a long recovery period. And uh, Tom Harrison began chemotherapy on Friday for pancreatic cancer, and so many of us have been praying for Tom as well, and I'm going to include them in this prayer together. Father God, thank you for gathering us here this morning. We come for a variety of reasons. It's habit. Uh, These are our friends. This is our family. We come to learn. We come to ask questions. We come because there's a, a need or a burden that we have, and praying here in the presence of other people who share this same faith in you gives us that sense that you're going to hear us. Some of us come because there's something deep on our, our hearts or on our prayer list, and we're hoping that you will connect with us in a way that provides answers or provides strength. Lord, I thank you for every member of this congregation. We come from different backgrounds, We come from different life stages. We come from different kind of church experiences. But there's a common denominator that we share, that we want to understand who you are as the one true living God. We want to understand who Jesus is and how Jesus brings life and hope and faith into our lives and, and how that impacts the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we treat other people the way that we hope for heaven. God, as, as we worship you this morning, I pray that you'd receive our, our worship. I also pray that you'd, you'd hear our requests. Thank you for inviting us to bring to your throne the needs of some of those that we love and their needs. So we pray for Teresa. We thank you for bringing her through this surgery. We ask that over the next several weeks and months that you will continue to bring strength and healing into her life. We pray for Tom, and we pray that you would use this chemotherapy for good, and we ask that you would pour out your mercy and your healing into his life, and that you would preserve his days. Thank you for giving us the privilege of praying for others. Lord, there are many uh, requests that are on the hearts of people here, and I don't know them all, but I pray that you would hear our prayers, and that you would release your power into our lives, step by step, in the right way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ben, why don't you come join me? 
I would like to introduce you to Ben Reggio. Uh, would you welcome Ben for a moment? This is the first time he's done something like this. Ben, most of the folks here at North River don't know you, but there are some. You're involved in this uh, young adult group that Christy and Rich Peck have been leading, and I'm grateful that you're part of that. And as I understand it from our conversation, you grew up here in Pembroke, you went off to college at UMass where you majored in physics, and uh, the question that I, we talked about the other day was, did your Christian faith grow and deepen or fall off during those years that you were away at college? Mm-hmm. How would you answer that? Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, I, for sure, during my time at college, my faith grew a lot. hold this up a little bit. A little bit more? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I, when I was at college, my faith grew a ton. Um, so I joined a Christian ministry called Crew. Uh, it used to be Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and uh, when, you're a, when you're at a college like UMass, you really need to just decide what you believe. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of places where people could go and uh, Christian communities full of discipleship, small groups, um, help, help people, you know, some, sometimes it's just helping people get a, get a ride to church. Um, and they're just places where you, your faith grows a ton. There's, uh, there are so many people in, in colleges who are looking to grow their faith in Jesus. And, uh, yeah, it's, they're more than just crew. Uh, I knew ton, tons of people, um, and it, I, I've, it's certainly a, a refining place where you decide, am I going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life? Good, good. And then you majored in physics at UMass, Mm -hmm. went off for a master's degree at University of Illinois in physics at well. And the question I have is, what led you to that step, to to zero in on physics and going on to the master's level with that as as well? Yeah, um, I I love physics. So I've loved physics since uh, high school. I had an incredible high school physics teacher who just he challenged, challenged me and others and uh, helped us to, to just um, to look deeply into just the math. Um, and uh, what I find great about it is that physics to me is it's more like, um, um, well, it's more like a, a sunset or, or watching the stars because everybody, well, most of us are able to look up and, and see the stars in the sky and, or see a beautiful sunset. But most, what most of us don't get to see is, you know, this Maxwell's equations which govern uh, electromagnetic waves and how the light travels across the universe. And it's just like this d- deeper understanding of the beauty that God has put into the world. And when you get to understand all these uh, deeper things that God has put, it's almost like a personal uh, love, love letter, almost. To, and it shows us that God is really kind of intimately concerned with beauty in our, in our lives and joy and creativity. And that, that's what, why I decided I wanted to know more about physics and be, um, learn as deeply as I can. So yeah. when we talked the other day, you, we, we talked a little bit about the clash that sometimes is there between science and faith. Mm-hmm. And you surprised me because you told me uh, you hadn't experienced that, that clash, that you didn't see any separation mm-hmm. or conflict between the two. What factors into your experience that way? Can you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, uh, right. So as a Christian scientist, um, you have to, well, if there's any conflict, it might come from the fact that 
Uh, Christianity asks you to believe things that you can't understand. And uh, science is mostly concerned with things we can't understand. Um, and so for, for many people, it's, it's really hard to, to accept something like the resurrection, which science just can't explain. You know, you can't, uh, something that the human mind can't comprehend, you're not going to be able to describe it with science. And so there are many people who I've met who believe that everything can be explained, uh, you know, everything can be explained with science. But as a Christian, you have to kind of come to science with humility. You know, there's a place for science and some things that can be explained and some things that science just isn't going to be able to get to. Um, and I think that's okay because we're, uh, science is a, a work in progress. It's a journey. Um, you don't need to know everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, how do you view the idea of God who, from the Bible says, launched this whole creation project? You know, how, from your perspective, coming from that discipline and having Christian faith in that, how do, how do you view God in all of that? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, it's... As someone looking at God as the creator of the universe and the creator of science and the creator of math, um, the creator of geometry and of, of the heavens and the stars. Um, God appears like a painter. He appears as an artist. Um, and as someone, as someone who's created something so that you could personally understand how he knows you and wants to understand your life and be there right with you. Um, and when I, read, when I read Genesis, I get that's what comes to me is that knowledge that he personally wants to be involved in everything that we experience. Great. Well, Ben, I, I want to thank you for just letting us get a window into your experience thus far as somebody who's, who's diving deeply into science and plans to continue to do that, and yet how that merges with, with your faith. Let me ask you one final question. Uh, what's the next step for you? Where do you go from here? Uh, where do I go from here? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Uh, I'm going to be looking for a job soon. I'm, right, I'm in the middle of writing a paper, uh, and so once I finish writing up this paper, I'm going to look for a job and. Hopefully someday in the future I might be able to be a high school physics teacher like the one who inspired me. That would be, that'd be great. That'd be yeah. great. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate Ben that doing that with me. I hope what it would do is give us just a window on how the things that we're talking about right now on Sundays impact uh, real people. And in, in this case, uh, Ben... I uh, happened to get real excited the first week as we were starting this series because it, it connected with the things that he's studying. He told me he's kind of torn. It initially, he thought he was going to go on for a Ph.D. in physics, still might, but is beginning to think, uh, like to be a high school teacher in physics. And I thought, I would have loved to have had you for a physics teacher in high school. Somebody where this wasn't a conflict, but you could help me in figuring out how we put both sides of the equation together. Well, this morning our, our theme is light versus darkness. This is part three of this, the Genius of Genesis series. Let me introduce it, my, my topic to you this way. The home where Sue and I live is just a few doors away from a neighbor's entrance to Bear Cove Park in Hingham. 
Sue and I walk in the park just about every day, sometimes for a mile or two, sometimes for a lot longer, with our dog, Copper. Uh, I thought this would be fun just to show you Copper. He's a lively little guy, all of 11 pounds of him. Uh, Now, we love walking there because Bear Cove Park has 484 acres filled with walking trails, hills and meadows, and beautiful views of the Back River, which separates Hingham from North Weymouth and East Weymouth on the other side of the river. On warm summer days, we enjoy walking a a three-mile loop that takes us down to the Back River where the naval ships were loaded with ammunitions back during World War I and World War II. In the summer, we love to see blocks of party boats that are tied up together. Sometimes we'll get out the kayaks and we'll we'll shoot down the the river a a little bit. In the fall, we stop to watch Hingham High School's crew teams that are often out on the river doing their workouts. And on some winter mornings, we're the first ones to walk out on freshly snow-covered paths that are only marked by deer tracks. It's it's just beautiful. But we never walk in Bear Cove Park at night. Everything changes when the sun goes down in that park. We've been caught out on a walk when the clouds roll in and and the darkness quickly invades. And it's not a lot of fun because it's a very different place when the sun goes down. The pathways are not lit. There's kind of a creepy feeling to the park when it's dark. And we're always aware that coyotes are prevalent among the animal life and they seem to come out a lot more at night. That's not the time when you walk with an 11-pound dog when there are coyotes all over the place. Now, here's the simple point of of giving you that observation. The absence of light dramatically changes one's perception of a number of things. For us, it's when we walk in the park. The park is bustling with life and inviting during the light of day, and it's dark and foreboding once the sun goes down when darkness reigns. Now, I chose to begin with that observation today because we come to a section of Genesis where the Bible discusses the contrast between light and darkness for the first time. And so our topic is light versus darkness. This is part three of our The Genius of Genesis series. And in this series, we're looking at bedrock principles that are revealed in this very first chapter of the Bible, the first chapter of Genesis, which provide us with a foundation for understanding God, our world, and our place in it. Here's the question I have for this morning. How does God's light impact us today? Let's look at this theme of light versus darkness, and we'll find that with it we find confidence in the midst of chaos. Four observations. Here's the first one. God brings order to chaos here in this early section of Genesis. Verse 2 begins by saying, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Prior to bringing light to the world, there was chaos. So it says that the earth was formless and empty. Many of us who are Bible readers have heard those words many, many times. But here the Bible is telling us that there was a a period of of primordial soup, so to speak, before the earth as we know it today was fully formed. The earth is dominated by three realities at this point, darkness, emptiness, and deep waters. And the idea that we get is the land is not fully formed yet. That's a next stage. We find out some specific details about this formless earth in this period of time from two words. The Hebrew words that are rendered formless 
and void point to a wasteland. It pictures something that is empty, barren, that lacks boundaries or definition. There's also a poetic quality to the structure of chapter 1 as a whole, but also to this phrase. The mystery and foreboding mood of this phrase is echoed by the words themselves. They, they kind of rhyme in Hebrew. The, the words for uh, formless and empty in Hebrew are tohu and bohu. Will you say that with me? Tohu and bohu. You can almost hear the rhyming of the poetic form of the way that Genesis unfolds. This description is colored even more by the phrase, darkness was over the surface of the deep. The deep refers to a deep, dark abyss of primeval ocean as it roars and rages. This kind of darkness symbolizes disorder and uncertainty. Now here's how this applies to you and me today. You might think I'm getting lost in the trivia of Genesis two and, uh, 1, 2, and 3. But from the beginning, our God was there in the chaos. I find that comforting. Have you ever been discouraged in deep despair with your life falling apart? Perhaps this is maybe even where you find yourself right now. You need to see this. You need to know this. Our God, the God of creation, operates in the chaos of your life for good. He is the king over chaos. Perhaps you're watching online today. You haven't found that, that momentum yet that, that brings you here to meet with us in person because your life is in chaos too. And maybe you're even avoiding being around other people. It's too hard. You have this sense that you have to get your life together before you dare to show up in the midst of other people for church, even in the process of finding Jesus or asking your tough questions. If this is the case for your life, you need to know this. Our God, the God that we are presenting, the God that we are coming to know more and more each day, operates in the chaos of our lives for good. He doesn't abandon us in those moments. He's comfortable in the midst of the world's chaos, and he's been doing this from the beginning. If I don't point that out to you, we lose that observation. We lose that sense that God is in control even in those chaos periods. Here's the second observation. When God speaks we see action. Verse 2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then verse 3 chimes in, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, I, I want you to get the picture of what is being painted for us here. The earth is still in the creative process, but the Bible says it was formless and void or empty, reflecting disorder and uncertainty. And we're told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hovering is interesting. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is motionless, but that rather there's the idea that the Holy Spirit is moving back and forth, anticipating something that is about to happen with, the, with a sense of expectation. And then God speaks in verse 3. Our English translation says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The original Hebrew is actually a little bit more simple. If you were to read it in a, in a purely um, old-fashioned way that just follows the, the order of the wording without trying to bring it into the, the modern way that we speak our language today, it would be something like this. Light be and light was. I love that. Light be and light was. Genesis doesn't draw an overly dramatic picture here. God just calmly speaks. It's not like he has to shout the light into existence. 
He just speaks a word. When God speaks, He speaks with authority. He commands the light, and it appears instantly. Then He demonstrates His authority again, and He names the light darkness. So Genesis goes on to say He called the day uh, the, the light period day and the, the dark period night. He calls them to a reality. When I take all of this in, my mind is drawn to a scene from the life of Jesus. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. Some of them are fishermen and they're very comfortable with the waters and boating life. Jesus falls asleep in the bottom of the boat and while he does, a raging storm <coughs> works its way across the sea. The disciples, even though some of them are fishermen, begin to become afraid because this particular storm that swoops in is really a doozy. When they're finally able to wake Jesus in the midst of their panic, he speaks to the wind and the waves. You remember this scene in the Gospels? He simply says, peace, be still. And the Gospel says that the wind and the waves obeyed him. You can read about that in Mark chapter 4. And the disciples were amazed and they asked this question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Put Genesis 1 together with Mark 4. Like father, like son, God speaks and light shines. Jesus speaks and the raging storm instantly quiets down and goes away. What does this teach us? You can have confidence in God. You can have confidence in Jesus. When He speaks, whatever else is going on, the matter is settled. When God speaks into your life, He speaks with authority. Do you remember how the people were amazed at the teaching of Jesus? They said things like, who is this? He doesn't speak like the teachers of the law. When He speaks, He speaks with authority. The people in Jesus' day were recognizing they were hearing a different quality. It wasn't just the tenor of his vocals. It was the character of the words. It was the depth and the authority with which he spoke as if he knew what he was talking about to the core of his being. This was an early clue that Jesus was the very Son of God. And you and I can have confidence that when he speaks, whatever he says, he speaks with the authority of God. The same God who said, light be, and light was. A pastor from Illinois, Brian Bill, tells the story of a three-year-old boy crying in, in a dark room while he was staying at his aunt's house. He was afraid at night because of the dark. And he calls out and he says, auntie, please talk to me. I'm frightened because it's so dark. And the doors open and his aunt calls from a different room and she says, what good will that do? You can't see me from another room. And the boy answers, that doesn't matter. When you talk, it gets light. That's the way it is with God. When God speaks, it all of a sudden gets light. When, when Jesus speaks into our lives, light comes with it, and we're reassured by his voice. So God brings order to chaos. We see that when God speaks, action follows. And then here's the third observation. The light is always good. Verse 4. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. 
This is the first time in the Bible when we see God stepping back to look over what He has done, what He has created, what He has set in motion. We've seen movement going from a scene filled with darkness and disorderliness, and then God speaks. He says those simple words, light be, and the light appears. And now He steps back and He sees it as good, and He he calls it good. He, He puts a label on it. This is the first statement about the goodness of God being brought into the world. The word used here in Hebrew is the word tov. It points to the shalom or the peace of God and the goodness of God. When we sing that song, I will sing of the goodness of God, we are going back to that observation that God is good and He brings His special brand of goodness to our world. So what is it that is good? The separating or distinction between light and darkness. I want to suggest to you that Genesis is introducing to us a theological perspective that we often miss when we read Genesis. Now, why do we do that? Sometimes we get bogged down in the words. So I know that somebody's going to ask me this morning, but, but wait a minute, what about the, the day? This is the first day of creation. Are you going to talk about whether this is a long period of time or 24-hour period of time? No, I'm not going to do that today. When we get bogged down there first, We miss the theological perspective of what Genesis is trying to bring to us. I will explain my understanding of those days at another time, whether that's next week or the week following. But here in verse 4 of the Bible, we're being introduced to a theme, the theme of light in contrast with darkness. It's a theme that actually runs throughout the Scriptures, and it's very important. Darkness is never removed or completely taken away, but it is pushed back by the light. Where light shines, darkness is always in retreat. Have you noticed that? That's the way our world works. Last night I went out late at night to walk my dog again, and I brought a flashlight, and wherever I shined the light, the darkness retreated a little bit, and my dog could see where he was going. But as soon as I flicked that thing off, the darkness comes right back in. You and I deal with that reality every day. Why does it matter that you and I understand this theological perspective about darkness and light early on? Here's the reason. We live in a world where there is tremendous darkness. Sometimes darkness exists in great acts of evil. The New York Times reported yesterday about a 50-year-old man who was sentenced to 60 years in prison for sexually manipulating several students in a college dorm at Sarah Lawrence College. And this went on for several years. I watched that and I thought, such darkness. A former employee at an Evansville, Indiana Walmart entered the store and held a group of Walmart employees hostage. He shot one of the women that he used to work with before he was killed by police as the rest of the employees ran for safety. For a moment, all the world focused on what was going on in Evansville, Indiana. Such darkness. There was another story in the headlines this morning, and I didn't didn't even have a chance to catch up on it, but something else happened with a shooting in California. And I, I instantly thought, more of this darkness. Every day in our world brings its own measure of this darkness. But the light of God, the light of Jesus, is constantly pushing back the darkness. So here's the big idea for this morning. God is constantly pushing back darkness with the light of His truth. When that reality sinks into our brains, it changes the way that we look at our world. Rather than being 
filled with doom and gloom, every time we hear another story of bad things going on, we are reminded that there is a God who is pushing back the darkness with His light. And when we see with His light, and when His light is within us, we operate differently in this world, and our impact on this world is different too. God is constantly pushing back darkness with the light of His truth. And we see this from Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, on through the rest of what the Bible communicates to us. I'd like to do a little bit of a theology of light, but I don't have time to really develop this well, so I'm just going to give you some initial starting points to think about this. You see, the, the, the triumph of light is central to God's story. That's the fourth observation. Let me give you an example of this. Light plays a key role in redemptive history. In Exodus chapter 13, we we read these words as Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and toward the land of Canaan. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. So God enters into the light, and through this pillar of light, he leads them even through the nighttime. Then there's another scene in Exodus chapter 10 where we see that darkness and death are symbols of God's displeasure. And there we're in the midst of the ten plagues that God delivered upon the Egyptians. And it says that the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. Hmm, let that sink in. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered Egypt for three days. So no one could see anyone else move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. God is in control of of darkness and light, and He can let His light shine where He will, while others are subjected to this deep darkness. Here's a third move where God associates with light. In 1 John chapter 1, we find these words, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And then one more. We're in the first chapter of John's gospel, we find that Jesus is the true light of God. It says there, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made by him and through him, the world did not recognize him. It's interesting that in that context, John tells us that the people loved the darkness more than the light. We sang a, a song a few moments ago that says, uh, break, up, break, break up the, at least I wrote it down here, break up the ground for all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion, your way is better. All right, I've had some people ask me from time to time, what does that mean? Break down the walls of all my religion. Well, think about it. Jesus came to a people who are very religious people, but they had built up their religion in such a a way 
that it created barriers to understanding what God was doing next when Jesus came into the world. Sometimes we can create our own traditions and we can create our own religious perspectives that become so airtight in the way that we've created them that we block out what God wants to do next. And when that happens, we have to look back and break down the walls of the traditions that we have built up, if they are just man-made traditions, and let that go in order to see what God is doing next and let the light in. Here's what I hope that you will see this morning as we are dealing with this third part of this series. God is constantly pushing back darkness with the light of his truth. It started back in the early days of the creative process, but it continues on through the world today. And it's a part of what he is doing through time. It will only end when Jesus returns and when that final battle is won and when we are united with the Lord forever. But there's this constant warfare that's going on and you and I operate in the midst of that context. What do we do with that? How do we take a next step? I'd like to give you three quick suggestions. Here's the first. Determine to walk in the light. So John writes in 1 John that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light, not in the darkness. Second, do a spiritual inventory. From time to time, ask yourself as you're meditating on God or thinking about God or reading the scriptures or going through your daily prayer time, are there areas in my life where I'm letting the darkness in? Just being aware of that is huge. If you're aware that the darkness is coming in, we can act to stop that, to change our patterns. How do we do that? Third suggestion, draw near to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming in the world, into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. When we draw near to Jesus... We draw others with us. And little by little, a world sees the light that pushes back the darkness. It is so important that we understand this broad theme of Scripture, that from beginning to end, our God, our Lord Jesus, is pushing back the darkness. And triumph is around the corner. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us a perspective here of how we are to understand all that's going on around us and the world that we live in. It is so beautiful and so wonderful at times, and other times it is so dark and so scary. Help us to be people of light who constantly, routinely, daily themselves with the God who is light. Break down the walls of traditions that get in the way of us letting you deal ruthlessly with the darkness that climbs into our lives, with the darkness that we allow into our lives. Let the light of the gospel shine in every part of who we are. In Jesus' name and by his power.